Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast hosted by and listened to by Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, and I am a fan of Worlds Collide, and I am joined by two folks who I know are also fans of Worlds Collide. We got the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey, how we all doing? And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. So excited to talk to you today, Blake. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting episode, I think. I think it's going to be a super exciting episode. So last week's episode, all about the year of Keyforge that was. We're coming up on that one-year anniversary. We wanted to look at the past, really talk about some of our Keyforge experiences. I personally got very choked up while we were talking about us becoming friends and all the different friendships that we forged through the game of Keyforge with people locally and internationally and how rewarding and cool that's been. But that's not what we're here to talk about this week. This week is All Worlds Collide, baby. Are you guys ready? Oh, yeah. Yep. All right, so let's get things started. We all got the opportunity to play Worlds Collide uh, before release, but it's a different experience to play the game when it's out in the wild, where there isn't suddenly just sort of a limited pool of decks and a limited number of people who have access to them. Suddenly, everybody's got access, and you're seeing tons and tons of decks get opened and tons and tons of new cards that you haven't seen in action before and new interactions that you haven't seen before. So I thought we could all talk a little bit about some of our experiences this weekend. So, Rick, I know that you got to play both on Monday night, on Sunday night, Saturday night. I think you played on Thursday and Friday as well. You're you're the the reigning Worlds Collide like champion right now when it comes to just games played. What's your experience been with the set so far? I've been loving every single bit of it. I've gotten, I believe, three decks of Saurians, and I just I'm adoring them. Uh, got some other decks that didn't have either of the new houses, so I'm just learning the old houses with the new cards, and it's definitely a learning curve again. We're back in the field of discovery. I gotcha, I gotcha on that. I- interesting that you would say that you're really loving the Saurians. My, my question to you would be, what is it about the Saurians that you're liking so far? Is it the big bodies? Is it the mechanics? Is it the risk-reward? The risk-reward, I'm... I'm a junkie in the risk reward thing. Uh, I like gambling, even though I don't do it. I like the big bodies. I like fighting, even though they don't really fight. I just love the the exalting and and uh, warding more, more than anything else. Great, good. Blake, you went down to Seattle to hang out with Dan from Sanctimonious and hit up a bunch of events there. What was that like? Oh, it was a lot of fun. The The Seattle meta is mean. There's no question about it. Like, it's uh, it's tough competition down there. And we played um, we played two release events. One was on Friday, and they did a you get three decks and you choose one sealed sort of thing, like kind of like a Vault Tour style. And it was good value. And uh, as a result, there was all Saurians. I only played with a Saurian wow. deck, and and over the both events, it was basically like I think I only, and I may be wrong, but I think I only had one game where I didn't face Saurians, and that was a Star Alliance deck. So everyone, when you had the option of opening Saurians and you got it, people went that route. So it's really starting to kind of shape the meta, and I think in Sealed, if you have a choice, you're going Saurians every time is what it's looking like so far. Not only that, I think uh, we're going to be playing in Sealed Triad uh, this coming weekend. And if we're looking at what decks you're going to ban, I think a lot of people are going to be immediately going, yeah, you got a Saurian deck there. That's the one I'm banning. It doesn't matter what else. 
Yeah, on on Monday when we played, I actually opened up a Saurian deck that was a poor Saurian house. Like it it wasn't good at all. The Saurians was definitely the worst part of my deck. It had only three creatures in it, which was kind of weird for a Saurian. And I mean, it had a lot of Ember Pips, which is cool, but it was like I totally had to like get my mind around it and it was kind of interesting because it did have regrettable meteor in it so it means i had no dinos but everyone else was playing dinos which was kind of a cool thing to uh to have in your in your no house downside for playing it yeah basically yep super cool yeah like uh, saurians are are the new boogeyman they're the new shadows um yeah the code of shadows of basically exactly like there's, it has so many tools um, their risk reward right now seems to be falling on the side of reward an awful lot when it comes to playing them. Their tempo is just incredible, especially if you got one that clicks really well and you get the right draws with it. Yeah, it's it's a force to be reckoned with. And I think that a lot of the upcoming weeks for me, especially, are going to be learning how to play around what they do, figuring out what the proper strategies are, figuring out what works, figuring out what doesn't work. And I'm already starting to get a feel for it, which feels nice too. It's one thing to get to play an amazing new house. And, that, you know, keeping in mind, this is these are the first new houses that we've seen in the game. But it's another thing as well to like play against them and really start to get the feeling for, okay, this is how I can make my deck work, even if I'm facing up against their tools. Agreed. Yep. I was the slacker on the cast. I only got to play in one uh, Worlds Collide event this past weekend. I had a very busy long weekend here in Canada. And, uh, you know, it, it meant that I could only make it out on Sunday to Magic Stronghold. Uh, shouts out to all the folks there. So I got to play in the sealed environment for the first time there, and I had an absolute blast. We had a really nice turnout um, in terms of the actual gameplay that went down. All the games that I had were really fun. Um, the sealed deck that I opened is great and I'm really enjoying playing with it. I'm playing with it a ton on the crucible right now. And, uh, it's really started to form my sort of general feelings around worlds collide as a set, because it's not a new house deck. It, it's familiar houses that we've seen before, but just getting a feel for what those houses do in worlds collide, I think has really helped to shape my feelings around the set. And I really like it. And especially right now in a sealed environment, it feels really fresh. It feels really new. And it feels like there's lots of different lines of play. Like uh, when I'm, when I'm looking at it, my deck, I'm looking like, okay, I can go this direction or I can go that direction. Here's an interesting thing I could do. Here's an interesting risk reward. Do I want to do this or do I want to go in that direction? And that stuff is like catnip to me. It's what gets me excited about Keyforge. And so, you know, having those options, having tons of new deck archetypes to explore, to play against, to play with, it's it's just been an absolute blast. All right, so first segment of the show, we're going to do this OG style where we're just going to throw out a bunch of our classic bits and talk about them just as a way of exploring the new set is would you rather Blake you got one the premise here is Blake is going to ask Rick and I which of two cards we would rather have in our deck all things being equal what you got for us Blake all right so the first one is a creature in shadows with three power it's elusive and has an action ability uh, the creature is called whisper it's got an action ability of lose one ember if you do destroy a creature okay so that's the first one. These are both removal-based cards. The second one is called Sorry About That, also known as the Canadian Removal. <laughs> and it's an action with a playability that says destroy a creature, its controller gains one ember. So I think they both present very interesting opportunities, but at the end of the day, 
its removal we're looking at here. So one is a creature that you can use over and over again, and the other is an action. So one, you're losing Ember when you play, when you activate the removal thing, and the other one you're gaining, uh, or someone is gaining an Ember from the use of a destroyed creature. So it's it's almost the same outcome because you had one Ember and you lost one, or your opponent could potentially could have one Ember depending on how you utilize a the A one card. Ember swing. Yes, exactly. So the question for you, gents, is would you rather have Whisper or would you rather have Sorry About That? Rick, what's your choice and why? I would rather have Whisper because, A, it's a body. You can fight or reap with it. And, yeah, you lose that Ember, but I would rather lose the Ember and then reap it back than have my opponent gain one Ember and I lose a creature. That's a compelling argument, Rick. Um, A very compelling argument, Um, especially in this set where I feel like destroy a creature is so important and ha- being able to recur it by keeping a body on the board is really like that's that's a top tier power basically being able to say i pay an amber to get rid of any creature that i'm facing off against especially when there's so much capture like you're facing off against saurians but i'm gonna go in the opposite direction i'm gonna say sorry about that and here's my reasoning one sorry about that means you get it off immediately You're not waiting uh, another turn for Whisper to be ready so that you can do it and potentially risking Whisper getting taken off the board, either through a fight or like an oubliette or another removal effect. Um, what, what, What you know about Sorry about that is that you're going to get to destroy the creature that you're facing off against. And, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're taking it off the board and there's nothing else that needs to be worried about. I mean, the only thing they can really save it in either case is warding. But here's my other rationale with it. There are so many ways to, in Saurian, um, make it so that you get Amber off of destroyed creatures um, on your own side. There are ways you can use Sorry about that as a utility piece in a very large number of Saurian decks. So, uh, you know, uh, if we're talking about the case where you exile a creature, you can then hit a Sorry about that uh, to get all the amber off of it into your own pool. Um, you could use Sorry about that in association with something like um, the Imperial Scutum to get rid of amber, take it right out of the game. So you capture a bunch of amber onto your own creature hit sorry about that that amber just leaves the game if they've got imperial scutum about that and you get the amber for the destroyed creature so i think there's lots of like interesting little things you can do with sorry about that whereas the fact that it's an action ability rather than a fight or reap ability with whisper means there's sort of less ways to cheat it around so i I gotta go with sorry about that blake what are your thoughts so I think the would you rather segment is much more complicated now that we have worlds collide because we're now having a situation where the synergy that exists within decks is so much greater than it was before in the way things work with one another. So our ability to just say, you know, the it depends statement actually really does depend <laughs> a lot true. more now than it's it true. did before. Yep. Like that's that's the one caveat. So this segment may have to be maybe we're going to come up with something new because I'm I'm thinking like there's so many reasons why you could potentially want one over the other in, in any different capacity. Um, but at the end of it, I'm with you, Alex, and I like sorry about that because of the delay. So the, you again have to call shadows the next turn. And there's so many things that could make that an inefficient play 
and you're doing it just to remove something, that's a big reason why I wouldn't want to do that. But I feel like that Whisper kind of survives at the moment because, again, it's flying under the radar a little bit. People aren't auto-targeting it. And I also like the fact that, sorry about that, can target your own creature to give you that one ember, which puts you in check. Like, I like that aspect of it, the fact that you can do that. Or if you have something like a Harbinger of Doom and the board's getting out of control, get rid of that and wipe the whole board. Like, there's so many ways you can utilize this card to your advantage, both offensively and defensively. I think it may make it very interesting. I mean, there's even something like um, Six Semper Tyrannus, which says, move all the ember from the most powerful creature to your pool and destroy that creature. If you have a creature that has no ember on it and it's the most powerful, but the second most powerful has a ton of ember on it, you maybe want to go sorry about that, get one ember, mm -hmm. and then six ember is going to be so much more powerful for the game. Like There's these instances that I see available where sorry about that can be used on your own creatures to great effect or against your opponent for also great effect. So I got to go with sorry about that. Again, also the instantaneous, it's happening right now once I play the card, there's no waiting, is a big factor in, in why I like this card. If you have the Spartasaur in play, that's a, a, a Saurian creature whose power is that if one of your friendly creatures dies, like any of your friendly creatures, then every non-dino creature gets reaped off the or gets destroyed off the board. You could use yeah. it as a trigger for that ability if you wanted to trigger it turn over turn without having to like fight. That's so good. Yeah, there's there's cool utility. That's that's the reason why Saurians, I think, are so are almost like overpowered in the set because there there is so many ways in which the cards work together i'm starting to feel like worlds collide is going to be like the, the idea of getting reps on your deck was very important before but i think with worlds collide it is infinitely more important than it has ever mm -hmm. been before absolutely yep. agreed and the nice thing about getting the reps in is now while everything's fresh it's fun there's no grind to it in the way that sort of when we were getting towards the end of AOA, I felt like a lot of the time when I was playing uh, just to get good with stuff, like it was grindy because you'd seen everything. There was nothing new under the sun. It was just, you know, now it has that newness and that freshness. So I love getting those reps in right now. It, it, it feels real good. Agreed. I have a uh, opposite story of that, actually. Really? I was on the Crucible. Yeah, I was on the Crucible two turns in. They only had one creature, which they played first turn. I got rid of it. They left the game. <laughs> they they realized they were done. <laughs> it was a hunting witch that they got rid of. That's funny. I don't know why you would. Some people just are just don't get the the TCO etiquette. I mean, yeah. I've written articles about it because it's it is something that that kind of irks me a little bit. But hey. That's it's something we're gonna have to deal with as the game grows because we're gonna get uh, different groups of players oh, into definitely. the game, and we'll just adapt and move on. And I mean, maybe we'll just not jam with uh, randos anymore and always set up our games because we'll get situations where we can do that. Let's take a yep. quick moment to give a huge shout out to the team over at the Crucible Online for having Worlds Collide ready to go at launch. Part yes, of the reason I'm why super impressed with that. Part of the reason why I think that I'm so jazzed about this set right now is unlike AOA where I had to wait like sometimes five or six days between being able to play games with my new decks, I've been able to explore all my new decks as they've come into my possession. Just fire them up on the Crucible, give them a whirl, see if they're good, see if they're not good, find an interesting interaction, see if I can replicate it. 
yeah, the, the, the fact that uh, TCO is a thing uh, that is absolutely available to every player in the world right now, so you can play against people all around the world, playing games with people in China and France and Italy and the States and, you know, goodness knows where else, that's, that's a huge benefit to the community. I agree. Let's move on a little bit. So second segment of the show. We haven't done one of these in a little while, but what better time than the release of a new set to bring it back? This one is over under. So the idea is that myself, Blake, and Rick have all picked out three cards that when we first looked at them, we had a thought in our head. And the thought was, I think this is going to be great or I don't think this is going to be great. And we're going to talk now about whether the card overperformed or underperformed based on those expectations. So nine cards going to get talked about here in total. I'm going to start off by throwing things to Rick. Rick, what is your first over-under card? First over-under is from Brobnar. It's an artifact. Irestaff. Give an Amber Pip. It's got an action. Enrage a creature and give that creature one power counter. I wasn't sure how good this would be, and I've got it in a couple decks. And because I wasn't really sure how to, how to best use it to my advantage, I sh- kind of shied away from it. So f- so far, it's been an under for me. But as I learn it, I believe it will be a definite uh, over for how it performs. I I've just been I've been shying away. From because because I haven't been sure when to use it and whatnot, so I'm just giving it an under for now because I don't know how to use it. So it's basically like you're playing it for the Ember Pip and then that's it at the moment. Gotcha. All right, Blake, what's your first card? My first card going to be maybe a controversial one, and that is Gargantodon, and I'm calling it an under. The reason being I chose this for an under is because it has the each ember that would be stolen. Well, actually, let me say the whole card. So it's a 16 power beast creature in Saurian. And it says Gargantodon enter play stun. And when it fights, it only deals four damage. Then it has a passive ability that says each ember that would be stolen is captured by a creature controlled by the active player instead. Mm-hmm. So I think if you have a deck with a lot of steel this card is going to actually be real bad because you are now just capturing Ember rather than gaining that Ember as a means to further advance your key forging potentially. So it for me, it's it's underperformed a couple of times because I want to steal and I couldn't. So I've actually discarded this card in a couple of games with a deck I have because uh, there was stealing that I that I needed for it and was powerful. So I think there will be instances where you maybe don't play this card as a result of that. But I mean, it. and then there's other instances I well, as well that I think that could be under is this is not a creature that exalts on its own. It doesn't have the exalt capability. If you have something like Six Semper Tyrannus, any of those cards that says, you know, the most powerful creature, this card is is definitely the most powerful creature in the game right now. I don't think there's, there's uh, anything close. The 12 power Pterodactyl is the next one. So... Um, I think there can be moments when this card can do some things that you weren't expecting in a negative way for your game and the way your deck plays. So I think some consideration sometimes has to be made with this card. But other decks, I think this card will be gangbusters. But so far from my experience, I'm calling this one an under. Interesting. All right, my first pick, 
going to house dis um who i think many people myself included think of the classic uh keyforge houses might actually be the strongest in worlds collide on average you're gonna have your good lineups you're gonna have your mediocre lineups and occasionally you're gonna have your bad lineups but i feel like every disc deck i see just bangs hard um yeah let's talk a little bit about buzzle so oh buzzle is a three power creature it's got skirmish and buzzle's play fight ability is thus you may purge one of buzzle's neighbors if you do ready buzzle all right the first time i open this up i look at that power in my deck and i go yeah that's never gonna happen never gonna do it never gonna bother with it um in practice i do it all the time I get an extra reap out of Buzzle by throwing away whoever was next to him, taking it out of the game, thinning out my deck, or I get some fights off. I've done moves where I've run my board, where I had him purge four creatures that I had sitting out there who had stuns or other things on them that were basically making them no value to me so that I could take out high-value targets on the opposite side of the board, some of them holding my amber. So I was able to get tons of value out of it. I just found that, like... My initial thought was, why would I want to purge my own creatures? That's a terrible idea. And what I'm actually finding in practice, especially in the specific deck that I've been using Buzzle in, is that it's thinning out my deck and it's keeping the board really alive and it's allowing me to do a lot of stuff. Um, it's not quite a house cheat, but especially if you can use Buzzle in uh, uh, with like a Ganger Chieftain or something like that, um, you know, you throw down a Ganger Chieftain next to Buzzle, Buzzle fights. You use Buzzle's fight effect to ready him again. It's like stuff like that. There's all kinds of little tricks and fun things you can do with him. So, yeah, I, I am all in on Buzzle. I think he's a great card and is a card that I did not think would be great when I first looked at it. But I'm having a ton of fun with it, especially a deck that has two of them. Yeah, I, I actually think that uh, a kind of a sub theme that exists, I think it's mainly in Dis, is this thinning out your deck through purging cards and and just having the purge mechanic do so much work, mm -hmm. it's really present. And I think it's a very interesting new aspect to the game, like to to purge either your opponent's cards or your cards. And if you have like a house that's kind of underwhelming, just get rid of those cards so you're not going to cycle into them. It's very, very interesting. I, I definitely think there's going to be some cool things that exist with that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to explore that idea as well. Rick, I know you had some good games with Buzzle. How's he doing for you? Uh, I haven't played them too, too much because I've been playing other decks that I want to learn. But every time I play that deck, it, it just bonkers. Just being able to do I'm, like those runs across the, your own board, getting rid of creatures and using Buzzle to play yep. over and over. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I have seven disc creatures in that deck that I can run through. Yeah. I actually think that's kind of a weird little sub theme that I've noticed um, in Dis is uh, there's a lot of creatures that are kind of like so-so, like Edorome and stuff like that, where I look at them and I'm like, yeah, that's not the greatest or whatever. But then like mm -hmm. you can use them to fuel things like ease on the fringes and buzz uh, buzzle and get like tons yep. of value out of them, even if they're just like being discarded and then purged or purged and stuff like that. So, yeah, like kind of like what you were saying, Blake, like that. Yeah, let me thin out my deck by getting rid of this stuff of no value. Let me get some value out of it instead of just sort of this mediocre creature that was just going to sit on my board not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. Loving it. Rick, what's your second pick? So the second pick, I have an action from, again, from Brobnar. 
Warriors refrain. Got an amber pip. It's an action. It says stun every creature with a power of three or lower. And for me, that I've played so many shadows decks. I have shadows in this deck as well, but it takes me a while to get my shadows out. So, with for me, this deck, this card has been an over every time because I'm nailing their creatures and I'm not having to be stunned at all. So I just keep going with my plan. Yeah, and then there's me who's uh, using Fidget to play the top card of your deck and nailing my own creatures. That was fun. I basically, I somehow managed to wild wormhole myself when there wasn't even a wild wormhole in the game. It was amazing. Dude, that's your trademark Good old wild wormhole. Uh, actually, wild wormhole did me good the other day, but I mean, it, it's it's got a ways to go to get back in my good books, I'll tell you what. Blake, what's your second pick? Well, you actually just mentioned this card, oddly enough, and that's EE uh, e. on the Fringes. Oh, so, good. so I had the pleasure of playing it last night, and oh my goodness, when I read this first, I thought it was good, and when I realized it doesn't have to be your own discard, I thought it amazing. So this card is a one-power elusive imp creature, and EE e. on the Fringes has a passive ability that says, during your turn, after you discard a discard from your hand, you may purge a discard from a discard pile. If you do steal one ember so wow that is like so powerful you basically like need to get them off check and you got a discard in your hand just get rid of it boom done just discard it and then purge another card that's discard that's a discard or go to your opponent's discard and get a disc creature from there if that exists i mean the the possibilities with this are amazing like it's only got one power so it can be a target but uh, that's what ward is for yeah also it's elusive right like yeah, this this card's been definitely is overperforming. It's I think it's a it's going to be a stay of the dis suite moving forward. I 100% agree. My deck that has it in it, I get like on average, I would say probably 6 amber out of value out of it over the course of the game. And in a mirror match against uh my opposing team even if if they also have dis, usually even more. Like if you can protect mm-hmm. it, if you can keep it on the board, if you can use it in concert with Buzzle, like you throw down ease on the fringes, you throw out a couple of discards, you purge them, you steal, and then to keep uh, uh, ease on the fringes on the board, you use Buzzle to like take out all of your opponent's fighty creatures. Oh, man, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. My second pick, uh, over under, I got to go with, uh, in Brobnar, my my traditional favorite house, Igon the Green slash Igon the Terrible. So a two card for the price of one over under. Um, let me let me tell you how this works, and I want to preface this by saying that if we're talking about flavor, A plus over. If we're talking about performance, like C plus under. So the way I go on the green, I go on the terrible works is it's two separate cards. I go on the green is a four power uh, Brobnar creature, and he has no special abilities other than destroyed, purge I go on the green, and return I go on the terrible from the discard pile to your hand. So. The idea is if that you get Igon the Terrible first, he gets discarded or destroyed because Igon the Terrible's card reads, play, if Igon the Green has not been purged, destroy Igon the Terrible. So the idea is that Igon the Green is like the young version of this card. Like he's going off to like adventure and Igon the Terrible is him as like this older guy who's come back from his adventures and now is like even more powerful because he's literally double the power of his younger self and he has a special ability which is fight steel. I love it. I love it so much in terms of flavor, in terms of mechanics. I think it's super cool. Here's the problem. 
I got the Terrible is an eight power creature with fight steal one. Not good enough for what this actually entails in terms of its fiddliness. Um, if you get Igon the Terrible before you get Igon the Green, that's a dead card. It is a straight-up discard. Like, you can't play it, you can't do anything with it. It's dead in your hand. So if Igon the Green's sitting at the bottom of your deck, Igon the Terrible is completely useless. So, you know, eventually, hopefully, you get to your Igon the Green. You get him destroyed so that you can bring Igon the Terrible into play. And, like, great, he's an eight-power body with Steel 1, but, like, he doesn't come in ready. He doesn't do anything other than that. So you play him, then what happens? If your opponent has any kind of targeted removal, like Whisper or any of the other cards we were just talking about, you'll never get that value out of Igon the Terrible. Plus, Steel 1 is, like, it's a good power, but it's not the greatest power. To me, he just is, like, he needs more for it to be worth the fiddliness of this and for it to be two cards out of your 36-card deck. Um, so in terms of flavor, like I said, big over. I really like the look of this card. I really like the design. Sometimes I get a little bit of value out of the two of them. But overall, I feel like it's an under, if only because they are underpowered compared to what some other creatures in the game have. There are so many other creatures that don't have this fiddly, like, I have to do all this stuff in this specific order to get them into play that have better powers than being an eight power with steel one. So it just feels uneven to me, and that's what makes it an under. That said, I still like playing it. Yeah, well, I mean, steel and Brobnar period is is cool. The fact that that exists is cool because that is not a Brobnar trade at all. I, wish but I see be, what you're saying. It should be steel too. If it was Steel 2, it would be saying. so sick. Like, it would be awesome, and that would really make it worth it. Or if he came in ready, or had something else. You know what I mean? Like, Steel 1 in Ward, like something like like a, a plus, like this plus. Yeah. Throw Skirmish on him. Skirmish. I would take Skirmish. Skirmish fight Steel 1. Um. Anyway, that said, let's move on. Rick, your third pick. Give it to us, baby. It's, again, from, from Brobnar. Barn Raising. Action. No amber fifth on this one. It says play for the remainder of the turn. The opponent, your opponent, loses one each time a friendly creature fights. Again, this card is in the same deck as Irishstaff. I don't know it that well. I haven't played it a lot. Also, if I remember correctly, my Brobnar doesn't have a lot of creatures. Actually, the deck is low on creature count, so I'm not fighting a lot. And when when I do have board presence, I don't have this card. So it's it's up to the draw. And so far it's an under for me. That card's been an under for me as well. It's it's very finicky. Like you have to get it at the right time or else it's it's just a discard. It's which is honestly, that's kind of a theme with Brobnar actions if you think about it. Like there's a lot from Coda and stuff. It's like if you don't get the action after you've established your board, it's a dead card. And and I feel like that kind of if you get it at the right moment, great. If not, it's just getting a discard yep. uh, discard pile addition because I've noticed that it's kind of... I, I really like the card like in like on its own looking at it, but when you actually put it into practice, it just doesn't do the work. I would 100% agree. I haven't been getting a ton of value in it in the decks that I have it, and I've, I'm, I've, I've got a few Brobnar stuff on the go. Um, I just... I, Brobnar is all about bodies, not about actions. Um, don't get me started on those brews, man. Don't get me started on those brews. Um, mm-hmm. every Brobnar deck be, be trotting out hella brew. Uh, Blake, your third pick. So my third pick is from Sarian, and it is Regrettable Meteor, an action card. You get an Ember Pip for playing it, 
and it says, destroy each dinosaur creature and each creature with power six or higher and has the great flavor text of not again. So this card is way over for me because in this meta where everyone wants to play Saurians, this card is literally like Sia. Like if they're loading up their creatures, it doesn't matter what's going on. Like that Ember is gone. And if they don't have a way of protecting it, if they have a deck that doesn't have one of the three cards that allow you to either make your Ember, the Ember go away, use it, or just again make it go away um you're you're done you're just basically giving up a full key the trick is knowing when to play your own saurians to make that have maximum value and not hurt yourself but that card is phenomenal in this meta it is like the best board wipe you can have in a saurian filled meta there's no question about it. it's huge over for me in sealed you gotta watch out for it Absolutely. I think it's going to be one of those things that's like, it's the all-purpose answer. Um, and it's the fir- one of the first hate cards that actually like is really good because you know if you're going up against the Saurians, like even if you're playing Saurians, which you are, of course, if you have a regrettable Meteor, you're probably going to have moments where you're going to need this. It's going to come in handy. Agreed, yeah. Definitely. All right, my third and final from House Shadows, we got Hit and Run. It's an action. Hit and run says play. Deal two damage to a creature. Return a friendly creature to your hand. So, obviously, right off the bat, Ronnie wrist clocks. Printed at common. Hit and run's going to mean that you can throw down Ronnie, throw down hit and run, take Ronnie back and do two damage to some creature across the board at the same time. That's sick. Basically, that means that you're going to get steal at least two with that combo and possibly more if the person is up above seven amber, which they might well be given the fact that there's so much uh, like tax on getting keys made in this set. It also combos really well with other creatures like Hugger Mugger in uh, Shadows. And then like literally it's any creature that has a play effect allows you to double up on that creature. So it doesn't have to be a Shadows creature. Yep. And there are so many play effects in this set. You know, uh, it could you could bring your ED four yeah. by four back to your hand, throw it down again next turn. You get Star Alliance, you're laughing. Exactly, it's insane. So yeah, just the ability to replay a card that you've already played, I think, is, is spectacular and does a lot of really cool things. The the damage that it gives you as well, that's like that's the insult to injury or the icing on the cake, depending on which side it's getting played on. So I I'm just loving this card and I've gotten so much out of it so far. There's also a fun thing if you got like a Saurian creature that's near death and like you're saying that Ronnie situation and it's got a couple ember on it, you could just pop it yourself, give them the ember and then trigger Ronnie higher. So when you play, it just is that much more effective and get that four ember out of it. Yeah, I actually had somebody do something similar to me today. Um, At some point in the future, we should really have a segment on the show where we talk about cards that have a new life in Worlds Collide. One of those, I think, is Cutthroat Research. Because there are so many things now that Cutthroat Research, like it used to be that occasionally, occasionally, occasionally you might get off the steal on Cutthroat Research. Now, because of like the tax that ED 4x4 creates on people being able to forge keys where they have to go up above, uh, you know, six. Um, there Just are in general, the taxes that exist. Yeah. Like Quadricoder. Yeah, there's so many cards that are creating the Ember tax to be higher. So suddenly Cutthroat Research, like, this two steel is happening an awful lot for me these days. And not only that, 
being able to like do things where it's like, oh, I killed my own creature by f- that had amber capture on it by fighting into your line, and now I'm gonna hit the cutthroat research in order to, uh, you know, steal that amber back. I love that stuff. Those are the kinds of plays that I love to see. This episode is going very, very long. There will be so much Worlds Collide to talk about. Next episode, we're going to be talking about our triad experience. We're going to be doing some on-the-spot recording where we're going to set up at the event and and chat with each other uh, between games and, you know, after and see how everything wrapped up. But, we, of course, we cannot finish an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. It's called Help, Help from, future, from Self. future Self. And it's my turn this week to deliver it. Folks... Listen to your pal Scuzzy Gruen when he tells you this. In this set, watch out for board clears. Watch out for them because you can mess yourself up so badly if you're not paying attention to how much amber you have on the board and somebody drops a gateway to dis or somebody drops, you know, a, a, a regrettable meteor or somebody drops any one of the other myriad cards that exist in Keyforge. You know, uh, uh, even an old school one, you know, like uh, 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 Coward's End or something like that. It is so easy to get carried away with the capture game um, that a board clear will just wreck you. And unless you have the the answer to immediately get all that captured amber back, you can put yourself into serious trouble, especially if you're a player who's been exalting like crazy. So if you're a Saurian player, watch out for those board clears. Look for them in your opponent's uh, deck list when you guys uh, see at the beginning of the game. If you're playing against any deck in a sealed environment, know what the board clears are in this set and be ready for them. And uh, try not to, to stockpile too much amber across the board without an exit plan. Because if somebody hits one and suddenly they have 10 amber they didn't have before, that could be real bad news for you. And let me tell you, I am speaking from experience. All right, we got to wrap things up. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram and on The Crucible under that name. Rick, where can they find you? On The Crucible at Rickster78 and The Wheeling Key Forger on Twitter. What about yourself, Blake? You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's B-L-V-D Paper Fight. Uh, Feel free to reach out, especially on Twitter, if you want to have a conversation. All right. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. We'll be back next week with some talk about Sealed Triad, Vancouver Primes. It's all going off. Worlds collide. It's an exciting time to be a Keyforge player, and we're excited to talk to you about it every single week. So until then, stay fortunate.